This week marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th tax of 2001, where we honor the fallen and remember the almost 3,000 people that died on that day, 6,000 injured, and thousands of others killed and injured in the wars to come, where we fought in our longest conflict of 20 years in Afghanistan until this year. Before we dive further into gray man's subjects and doing some more learning, I thought we would honor the remembrance of them since I've been asked a few questions that I will answer, some that I will not, or I can tell you I don't know. And in previous generations, everybody says, do you know where you were when JFK was killed? There's a generation of people that can tell you where they were and what they were doing. And then in this generation, there are those that can tell you where they were and what they were doing on 9-11. So Patriots Day and 9-11, I'm going to answer some of the questions we have, address some of the issues, probably clear some things up, probably not on a whole bunch of others. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. First, I'll say I won't be addressing any conspiracy theories, not really, although it might sound like it at times. Most people have already made up their minds on what they believe and aren't willing to change it. And it's so easy now to find videos and photos that could have been altered. Technology's changed so much, it's amazing what we can do with it, even beyond what most people actually know. So I'm not going to be addressing any of that. We're just going to hit a few questions I was asked that you might find interesting, and you may not, regarding all kinds of things that I'm aware of or that are out there in information Looking at the questions, I can tell you that everything I will say is available online and probably in a documentary somewhere, only because I was informed there's a new documentary out that I haven't seen yet. Uh, you can look for it. I'm not sure what the title is, but it has to do with members of the White House, President Bush, Vice President Dick Cheney, National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice. There are some Secret Service members and members of the media that walk through everything from the morning to the president finally getting back to the White House and giving his speech, which has a, a certain title to it. I can't remember what it is, but where we started using the phrase that essentially if you harbor terrorists, we'll treat you like terrorists. So I imagine it's informative. Haven't seen it yet, but you should definitely probably check that out. Maybe you'll enjoy it. Now, despite what people think and the questions I ask, as many of them are actually just along the same lines of one question and what people are calling evidence, most people have no idea what they're talking about. They weren't involved in the intelligence community or the military anywhere near that stuff, even if they were there. They don't have access to a lot of that information. I can just tell you that while many people disagree with this, the acts were committed by Al-Qaeda. It was not an inside job, which is probably only the hottest topic thing I'll say all day. While nobody will probably ever have that information, it's it's beyond beyond questioning. That being said, one of the questions I was asked though was about President Biden is having some documents declassified. People want to know: Am I going to do a show on that, like we did with UFOs? No. Uh, and here's why: You're probably not going to learn much. The reason why isn't because it's the government; they don't want to tell you things. The documents that are being declassified are from the FBI's investigation. They're not from the intelligence community or the military. The FBI's investigation, they were ordered during 9-11 to start that investigation. It would have been lengthy and closed sometimes later. Probably deals a lot with what information they were given access to, how much information was shared, as well as 
what information that they're actually going to release and how much it's been redacted for deep clarification purposes. So there's probably some useful information. And there are probably many things people don't know. But if you're looking for answers to the most common conspiracies, you're not going to find them there. I can guarantee you that. And the reason why I mention about trading information and all this other stuff hasn't have to do because we started things like Homeland Security or Director of National Intelligence or any of that stuff. One of the things about that day that is publicly available now, because I believe Mike Marles talked about it, is that at some point during the day, I'm not sure exactly which point, he was with the president all day at the time, I believe he was, I don't know if he was the deputy director yet, but he was one of the CIA briefers to the president. He was with the president all day. Um, the director of CIA tenant was in a bunker. He was the first person to get to a bunker. And Morell had called tenant. I don't think he spoke to him. I think he spoke to somebody else, but they were trying to get some sort of information. I don't recall exactly the specifics, what they were asking for, but probably probably had to do with the hijackers, but I really don't remember. He was told that there'd been an embargo essentially on information leaving the bunker, that the CIA was not going to be providing information even to the president of the United States. And he was not happy about that, that much I'm positive of. Now, whether or not that information got released that day, I do not know, but that's just to support the idea of there's probably some useful information from that FBI stuff that you'll find out, but you're not going to find out really anything that you're looking for if you're really looking to find something out. If you're really looking for answers to conspiracies or anything, that's probably not going to be there. One of the questions I got was about United 93 over Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Was it shot down? They reminded me that I'd said that before on YouTube long ago. My entire basis for that was because the Secretary of Defense came out and said publicly on more than one occasion that we shot it down. Vice President Dick Cheney has come out more than once, even as early as shortly thereafter, and said he gave the order to shoot it down. However, it is genuinely believed now that we didn't shoot it down, that the people on board probably did take it down. The question comes down to the impact area, which... Based on a flight from a high altitude, that impact area looks like what it would. If the plane was shot down, doesn't look like a crash. However, based on the known flight path information, the descent they were taking, what they were doing that time, because it was shot down or crashed, whichever one it was, somewhere outside of Camp David, most likely around at the Capitol building, based on the height they were, that if they did take it down, it would resemble that crash site. I'm not a current investigator on that kind of stuff. I've never seen anything very specific on it. So it's hard to say either way. I'll just tell you that at the end of the day, that information is not going to change. I don't think anything classified will ever come out about it. People have already made up their mind about it. And history will go down saying that there were heroes that took it down and conspiracy theorists that say were shot down. I am aware that there is a person that came out on an interview at some point and said they knew the pilot from the National Guard that shot it down. However, there's been other people that came out including that pilot, I believe, and members of the military from that National Guard unit explaining the flight path and the information and the person who traveled with them saying there's no way that person could have done it. Again, he said, she said, because that's so long ago, we don't really know now, but it's unknown. A big question on everybody's mind that I got asked or what are my thoughts about the way things went down in Afghanistan and the pullout? because it's affecting a lot of veterans apparently, or people are saying it is, people are upset about it. 
I take a different point than most people, at least the way most people are communicating it, which is mostly through social media. At the end of the day, we were going to leave there at some point. We chose to finally leave there. We weren't leaving really under too many conditions that we had ever set at any point, as much as they evolved of what we would call winning. We've known for years that government was going to collapse quicker than Iraq. It was just a question of how long can you basically force your will on another nation? That's the way I describe it. I don't think anybody else has. As far as my time in the Middle East, just like everybody else had a small piece of the pie, I knew what my piece was. I did my job, and I'm proud of what I did. And we were successful in what we did for the overall big picture of our missions at that time. I think what most people are really upset about is the people that tend to be complaining and the people that didn't want this president to be president, and that's why they're complaining. They're forgetting certain things. They're forgetting that President Trump was going to do this three months earlier. So this president had three more months. They're forgetting that the negotiated agreement for this, President Biden had the option to renegotiate. He chose not to. All he did was extend the timeline. And I think those are important factors that we don't want to forget. A lot of people are saying President Trump would have done this. They don't know what President Trump would have done. Things we know for sure. If we had done it three months earlier, the Taliban would have done the same thing. That's obvious because they did it now. Why couldn't they have done it three months earlier? If you're not hearing it now, it will be coming out soon. What I've been saying forever, Taliban is part of the Haqqani network because there are Haqqani leaders in there have always been in there. They're getting intel and information, command and control from ISI, Pakistani Intelligence Service. I won't be surprised if we start hearing stuff from inside of Afghanistan where the Taliban are fighting because they're still trying to take over the one province they never had control of the first time they were in charge that they actually have Pakistani military with them. Don't be surprised if you hear that. You may never hear it. I might be wrong, but I'm just saying, don't be surprised. That being said, despite the equipment we probably shouldn't have left, that there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. And I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm just saying there are many, many reasons. The mistake we made is the military came forward. I said this to somebody at some point. The military came forward told the White House the way to do it was collapse everything on Bagram, our most secure airfield. We get word out. We start bringing people in, citizens and the locals we want to take out. Then we start evacuating. Decision was made not to do that and to use the airport, which is clearly doesn't have the security, doesn't have the assets and all the stuff already in place that we needed. And they moved everything and started shutting things down so rapidly they did not get in contact with the people or when they had time to, to get them out. That's really what resulted in the situation we ended up with with so many people left behind. Now, I'd like to think a different person in that chair would have made the better decision. The problem you run into in these situations, things people don't realize, is that this was a State Department operation because it had to do with the evacuations of people, bringing them to other countries. All the things involved are the State Department. Military were the facilitators. So the military give advice but they are not the ones running that operation. Not saying it's right or fair. I'm just saying that's how it is. Very similar thing happened in Libya. Not the same conditions, but State Department operation. There were military there that was facilitators, very few, and contractors. So I'm not defending anybody. I'm just simply saying, make sure you know exactly why you're blaming people. 
this goes on to say things I've seen too. And, and these are the only things that have actually kind of pissed me off. And I find highly disrespectful when people start putting out statements and questions. I don't care if their political party is what country they're from, whether or not they're a veteran. And it's about either how angry are, how do we feel because we lost and we went the way we did because of our friends that died. People who ask that question or make statements like that should be punched in the fucking face and have their ass beat. How we leave those situations does not affect how we feel about the people that died. We were there when they died. They are gone. We lost them. Their families suffered. Whether or not you need to justify a feeling by saying a sacrifice is or isn't justified is really a line from a movie, meaning... It's just the way that you're inappropriately dealing with grief and frustration. This is why when service members die, their families don't talk about or think about the operation or maybe they ask why we're there in the moment of grief. They're angry because their family members died. Just like I miss friends of mine that died, a soldier of mine that killed themselves. Many other people I know that killed themselves since. Never once did I or anybody else I know think about the war or why we were there. People that do that are the ones that either don't understand it or they're trying to justify things that they're not dealing with in a healthy manner. I don't care what happens in that country. I don't care if it came out with a republic that was better than ours and they had the greatest economy in the world and paid our way out of debt or what they did here. I wouldn't feel any different about the people we lost. And why is that? Because it's war. Death happens in war. When the military goes somewhere, they go somewhere for the purpose of war. I don't care if it's a declared war or what you call it. You bring the military in when you're going to kill people, which means some of your people are going to get killed. It's war. It's just war. That's how it works. Sure, I don't agree with some of the decisions were made. Sure, it's very clear to me that some things could have been done differently. Does that mean the outcome would have changed? We don't know that. Could we have got more people out? Yes, we absolutely could have. Does that mean we would have got them all out? Probably not. Now, having not seen this documentary, I mentioned one of the questions I was asked about bunkers. Yes, there's bunkers. But the question was about uh, the president traveling, landing into different Air Force bases. And at some point in the video, apparently they show him going into a bunker. So I would hope they didn't actually show it. If they did show it, that would mean that bunker is either no longer active or there's now a different entrance. If they did show it, what it's going to look like, assuming even what they showed you is the actual entrance which if you see the president walking in with a small group of people, there's military outside, it's probably the entrance. It's going to look completely innocuous. Some of those things will look like a shed in the middle of nowhere, like a utility shed or just, you know, a little thing not much bigger than the average size bedroom that's probably made of brick or stone that looks like every other building, says no restricted access, might have some stuff around it that looks like it's utilities or water or whatever, and those... Um, are often one of the access points to bunkers. Not all of them are like that. I'm only aware of certain ones, one very specific one, because I know where it is, which was a complete accident I found out, by the way. But that's probably, if you saw something like that, that probably was the entrance at that time. If it's on an Air Force base, the bunkers probably still exist. It's probably just different access points. And it's been 20 years, those things get updated and retrofitted all the time. And a lot of them are large enough underground. Most of the work can be done underground where nobody knows it's happening. Now, whether or not they talked about it in there, continuity government was put in place. We started evacuating elected officials. One of the places like the 
Briar something at some hotel. I think it's called Briar something. There's a documentary on it somewhere, but it's a hotel. I think it's in Virginia. It's somewhere on the East Coast that has a bunker that's now used as a tourist thing. And it's because a lot of people were evacuated there during 9-11 for continuity government, and that's when it got discovered. So after that evacuation plan, it was shut down. They were using other ones. And that's now a tourist attraction. You can actually go check it out and probably see videos or pictures of it online. And it's actually <laughs> it's actually under a pretty nice hotel. And uh, nobody ever knew it was there except for a few people that worked at the hotel. Bunkers are interesting. They're all over. Most of the ones that are known probably are not there or have been relocated even close by. But there's a lot of them. A lot of things get called bunkers that aren't bunkers. It really depends on what you call a bunker. To my knowledge, there's no actual doctrinal definition of a bunker as far as its purpose. What's in the bunker and its use is usually what defines it, like the PIOC, the White House, the President's Emergency Operations Center is a bunker, but its purpose is an emergency operations center for the President, so it's called the PIOC. A lot of what you really would define something as a bunker is more about how it's constructed and what it's able to withstand for an attack or an incursion. But again, I don't know that there's a doctrinal definition. There's probably something out there that defines it. But there's a lot of them, and they serve different purposes. Some are large for large-scale evacuations of people or for elected officials. There's ones that are set up for communications to talk to different government officials. There's some that are cleared and set up specifically for the president and members of the White House. All kinds of different ones. And when they evacuate people, unless they have to do it, they try not to keep all the members of the government in the same location if they don't have to. Like portions of Congress would probably be all together, but they wouldn't put the Supreme Court, the White House, cabinet member. They don't put them all together. It's, it's just not a smart move if you're under attack. Because if you lose one building and it happens to be the building everybody's in, well, then you lose everybody. Another question I was asked, and I'm just paraphrasing all these because these were emails with two or three paragraphs only asking one thing or trying to provide me evidence, convince me to say something was about the second wave of attacks. That information has been out there for a long time. There was a second wave of attacks planned. There was guys that were arrested during the FBI's investigation, some of which are in Guantanamo right now. I don't know if they were all caught. I don't even remember if I ever knew that. But some of these guys were living the gray man lifestyle. They were people that Bin Laden wanted to be the new type of insurgent, especially in America. Like Some of them were had good jobs, had American passports, had become American citizens, were on their path to do so, had got married here, were good members of the community and everyday good guys that would say and do things look like they supported and loved America, but they were on call to be sleeper agents to conduct attacks, including a second wave of attacks. Some of the information's out there about some of the targets, but the targets I know of that would have been attacked if the second wave happened would have been the Sears Tower in Chicago. There is a bank a specific bank building and financial center in Seattle, Washington that was going to be attacked. I know there was a building in Los Angeles. I don't remember what it was, but there were several others. The original plan was for 10 planes. The belief is the other planes were in the second wave. Now, at some point later in that day, the president and the White House was notified by the CIA of that second wave. It's unknown whether or not that was the information they were holding, trying to figure out what was going on probably was because they didn't want to blow that they would they're not going to want to give information out somebody might put on the news when they're trying to use sources to find out if it's real or how to stop it so that might have been it i don't know but the president did know later that day there was a second wave planned and they considered whether or not 
they should return to the White House because maybe that was the decision. Do these attacks, let it calm down, everybody returns, then we do other attacks. Hard to say, but yeah, there was definitely a second wave planned. It didn't happen. Now, part of this information too, and some stuff that was released, I don't remember when, hasn't been that long, was in 2011, 10 years after the fact, we killed bin Laden. We capture a lot of information during site exploitation, some of which has been declassified. A lot of personal letters and things he's written to other members of Al-Qaeda around the world. Very interesting stuff in there. Very eye-opening stuff of high intel value. But here's things a lot of people don't know about Osama bin Laden, what his thought process was. He spent years planning these attacks. He had been considered launching these attacks for almost a decade. His belief was that, and this is, remember our reaction with four planes, his plan was with probably 10 planes, he thought the reaction was Americans would go to the streets, riot, protest the government, similar to what we saw with all the riots um, during the pandemic. He thought that the public would go there and riot and that because of that, the government would be able to be forced to change his policies or we'd make a change in government that would get us out of the Middle East. He didn't think we would go to war over it. The reason the second waves of attack didn't happen that he mentions in these papers is because we responded so swiftly and started putting people in Afghanistan, which got him to, in not too long, take off and head to Pakistan. So because we reacted so swiftly and there was so much military response, he was shocked and he didn't think that was going to happen. He didn't realize, I guess, who he was dealing with. What that tells us, though, is that if he had reason to believe that was a possibility, he probably would not have conducted those attacks or the way which he'd done them. They may have continued to do attacks like they did later on or at earlier times around the world. Hard to say. But if you do find that information and find those documents, because I'm not going to look for them to post them up here. Um, well, I might. Take a look in the show notes, because by the time I'm done with this, I don't know if I'll find them or not. If I'll remember, I guess. But it talks about him communicating with other Al-Qaeda units, ones that wanted help. You'll learn that there are versions of Al-Qaeda out there that were kind of self-proclaimed and were never fully under his umbrella. And he didn't even give them advice to or didn't. Um, they didn't listen to him. And they were not really sponsored by them or created by the actual Al-Qaeda. In the same way ISIS-K, known as ISIS-KP, isn't actually ISIS. There's some very interesting stuff you can learn in there about the different Al-Qaeda cells or divisions around the world and which ones really are Al-Qaeda and which ones are self-proclaimed fighting in Al-Qaeda's name and what happened with them. It's like, uh, I think it was AQIM, the Islamic Maghreb, I believe it was them. It might have been Arabian Peninsula or maybe they're the same, I don't recall. Too many versions. But one of the things they eventually did is they didn't listen to him and then eventually got to the point where they went to Al-Qaeda for help. I'm like, we don't even know what we're doing. We don't know how to plan this stuff. So there's all kinds of interesting things you can find in there if you find that. And a lot of it, um, to a certain degree, has to do with 9-11, why the attacks were planned, and why they wanted to do it the way they do it. Some more information other than just what I'm telling you. But I think one of the most interesting things I learned was he didn't think we were going to go to war toward it. And he didn't think we were going to go to war realizing he was going to do probably 200% more damage than he did. And that he canceled further actions because of our responses figuring we would escalate even farther than that. Now, what more escalation could we have had? I don't know. I don't think we would have nuked Afghanistan, but maybe, I don't know, maybe at that point he could have got away with it and said, screw it. They're coming anyway. Get it over with. It's hard to say, but 
Despite what people think about Afghanistan now, the one thing we know 100% is the fact that we went in there so quickly did save people's lives because he didn't launch the rest of those attacks. I'm not saying 20 years will justify it, I'm just saying. We know for sure there are people alive today and that some people, maybe even you know, that may never have existed if we didn't go to Afghanistan at least as quickly as we did because he might have launched those other attacks. Now you can send me further comments and questions if you want, but just like these ones, if they're conspiracy-based stuff or you want to argue with me about it, things you don't know and understand, things I had access to information to, I'm not even going to respond to it. I'm just saying, I don't I don't have time for that. I'm more interested in the questions and stuff about the gray man concept, body language, all the things we talk about that I want to do stuff on. And today also is the closing day of free information for the open source challenge. I put it out there. We've had a few hundred people listen to that. Nobody has sent for further information, so I'll be providing no further information. I can tell you, though, the Jim over at PI Magazine that I did the interview with has offered up some things as additional prizes. I've asked him about, can I use those later in another contest? Because I really don't know how many of you are actually going to submit, but I may use some of those. But he has, I think, a couple of gifts as well as some subscriptions, subscription service to PI Magazine, which may be of interest to you. So I'll tell him exactly what I want if I want to use it for this. But first, let's see how many people submit. So because of the delay time and people listening to this, of course, I pushed it till the 15th. That's nine more days. But as of the 15th, I won't accept any more submissions. And I will tell you this, I had already decided if it went down like last time, knowing we have about, <laughs> I mean, the first time I did a contest, we only had like 25, 50 people listen to this. Now I get hundreds. If nobody's going to submit anything like they did last time, I'm probably never going to do anything again. And to give those subscriptions and stuff away that Jim offered up, I'll do those, but I'll make it stupid simple. Um, I'll make it stupid simple. I won't even do a contest. I'll tell you what it is when I decide, but I'm probably going to tell you, send me in a voice question like people do. And if it's good enough to do an entire show, not just answer your question, I'll probably give you one of those things. I'll decide that later when we see how many people submit. But I did the contest the way I did them, the same way I would do stuff in training in person. I knew it would be harder over podcasts. But I've been putting information out for three months in the Open Source Challenge, talking about myself, my personal life. I've done it on YouTube. I've given up direct information. I've given up a little bit of stuff that you have to find on your own. And there's more than enough information out there to find some of the stuff related to phone numbers and emails I've used. So as crazy as it sounds, I shouldn't be saying this, but it might turn out this way. Somebody might send me an email and said, I didn't even take the time to do it because I thought it was too hard. But when I realized people might not do it, all I'm sending you is the email in your show notes. You know, I'm sorry I didn't have more time. And that guy might be the winner. Crazy as that sounds. Um, but if nobody does it, these bags I'm giving away that's got emergency strobe lights and tourniquets and tear-proof, waterproof notebook, body language deception books, a prepping book, and a few other things I can't remember off the top of my head. It's worth well over $100. I'll just keep them. And I will use them when I train people in person when I start traveling this year or next year. So anyway, good luck on the challenge. I hope people are trying it out. I really hope I get some submissions. You guys out there listening to private investigators, you probably got the best chance in nine days if you haven't even started it because I don't think anybody, I, I, don't, I haven't heard much from anybody. 
It's kind of bothering me. But I hope some people submit and put some time in to show me that you've learned some stuff, to tell me how you've done it and what you've done so I can see where to help you more. Because uh, questions calm down quite a bit unless it's a big event like 9-11. Last thing I'll leave you with is a lot of celebrations, 20 years. 20-year anniversary, a lot of celebrations happening on that day. Big events, people gathering, members of the military participating, some outside military bases. Thinking back to things I know about security and things that have happened on the anniversaries around those days, I think it's foolish. You can make your own decision. I hope nothing happens. But it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. So hopefully nothing happens and hopefully you're all safe on Patriot's Day. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you think about the military, no matter whether or not you agree with wars and what we've done, no matter what you think those soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines died for or what they were actually thinking or even somebody you know, just take some time and remember that there are people that died. They died fighting in a war that you have thoughts and feelings about and they didn't get to come home. And no matter what kind of person you are, that does affect all of us. And it won't be the last war we fight. For nearly everybody in this country, there will be another war and more service members die in your lifetime. That much I guarantee. If you like this episode, don't forget us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.